we're going to outer space. Isn't that right, Rod Pyle? Well, 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 uh, Mr. Landecker, you're uh, just a frustrated radio guy. How you doing? Listen, listen to you. I love it. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> the last thing That's I good, expected yeah. to hear out of Rod Pyle tonight was a a really decent really Jimmy Stewart. Bad. No, 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 I got to say, it's a really decent Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Oh, so, thank you. Okay, so Rod Pyle, uh, executive uh, editor of Ad Astra, just a general astronaut with his feet on the ground, basically. You know what I'm saying. Um, so I have these, and you're going to be here for an entire hour until 8 o'clock. Yes, sir. Okay, good. So I've got these different categories here, okay? I'm just going to run them by you. Later, NASA, don't say anything about it yet. Go, okay. Starsh- go Starship Oops. Cannibals in space and stuffing things on the moon. And I want you to know that I have tried diligently to find some corresponding audio to go with all of that. And so <laughs> it's going to be a challenge, but I think I'm up to it. So all right. uh, it's about, let's go to this later NASA. Uh, let, let's talk about that. And by the way, did I tell you that everybody, he's the executive editor of Ad Astra magazine? Good. Okay, and, and, he, and he has and a podcast. This week in space, the podcast yes, has a, a great, po- by the way, great podcast. Okay, a great podcast that that needs listeners because I'm told we're going to be going behind a paywall next year if we don't get more. Well, get to, to it, so. everybody. Go I'm listen to on it. your audience, man. Oh well, you know they're good people. But I hope they come through for you. It's, yeah. So, what is this later NASA thing? No moon for you. Well, so. <laughs> We've all been watching the Artemis program trundle along for the last 10 years, and this is NASA's attempt to return astronauts to the moon, American astronauts to the moon, and our international partners. There's uh, over 30 countries now signed on to this program. So kind of like the space yeah. station, it's intended right. to be international. So next year, we're supposed to have the Artemis II flight, which is the first one with people aboard. We had the Artemis One uncrewed flight that slung around the moon. Uh, already. So Artemis 2 is supposed to fly next year late to just make a loop around the moon. So it's not even quite Apollo 8. It won't go into orbit. It'll just sling around the far side and come home. So wait wait, wait a minute. For the uh, for the uh, people who are ignorant of these things like me, so hmm. this, this is the SpaceX, this is, what's this his is name? NASA's rocket. Okay, but isn't it also um, Elon's rocket? Well, so that comes later in our oh. tale. <laughs> Okay, so this is just the Space Launch System, NASA's big mega rocket, most powerful rocket on Earth right now, and the Orion capsule. So those two ships will head off next November, we hope, to do the swing around the moon, and that tests the equipment and the radio transmissions and the life support and all that stuff. So that's very important to do. Then we've been living, those of us in the space press have been living Mm -hmm. with this date of 2025 that NASA kept saying that's when we'll land on the moon. And most of us kind of stuck our tongue in our cheek and rolled our eyes and went, mm, okay. And, you know, you and I are old enough to remember Apollo and remember how things got pushed back six months. Sure, absolutely. You bet, yeah. So this program's operating at roughly a tenth the budget of that. So, of course, things are going to go wrong. So the Government Accountability Office uh, just released a report uh, talking about this. 
Here, hold on one second, my screen band. You know, it says here that they don't even have a spacesuit that works yet. Well, what's, so what's, that's one of the problems. So, so wouldn't the that be like? Office, wouldn't know, that be high on the? Says, wouldn't that be high on the list? You know, I well, mean, so there's a reason for that. But the GAO came along and said, "Okay, look, you guys are running late. You're not going to make it. So mm-hmm. let's just face facts and say maybe 2027. NASA kind of Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So as you point out. We don't have spacesuits that can walk on the moon. We have some in museums from <laughs> the Apollo program. Well, that's right. But, you know, whenever one of these programs ends, those companies shut down their assembly lines and people retire and there's this big knowledge drain. Mm-hmm. So the last spacesuits we made, other than the quickies that SpaceX made, and those are just pressure suits to keep you alive in case, you know, the capsule gets a hole in it or something. Yeah. The last real working go outside and do stuff in space. Spaces we made were in the 80s for the shuttle program. And they're All right. using those. So they've hired two companies, both of whom are working with other companies that have experience in moon suits to try and redesign these new ones. But, of course, as happens, NASA will say, hey, okay, here's the deal. Here's some money. Go do yeah. your thing. And do you then ever- Congress cuts the budget. And suddenly, there's not enough money. So listen, running late on that. Did you ever go? Ever think of going to Men's Warehouse? Uh, they've got a lot of suits over there. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure yeah. you know they could fix you up. Well, and, 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 and you know, here's part of the problem: the Apollo yeah. suits were just up to the task of what they did, which was a couple of guys on the moon for a few mm-hmm. days, going out for six, eight hours at a time. Right, right. In their longest, longest space walks. The new ones, and they were rock hard when they were pressurized. They were very hard to move in. You remember those guys that they fell, they could oh, yeah. back up. They couldn't bend over. So the new suits need to be not just more flexible and more technologically advanced and with electronic displays and all that, but they also have to last longer because the whole point of the Artemis program eventually is to build a station around and on the moon, and those people are going to be there for months and months at a time. Right. So these suits can't just last a few days. And, you know, moon soil is real gritty. So everywhere, you know, where a glove fastens to a sleeve or a helmet fastens to the next ring, a neck ring, you're going to have wear and tear. So they're trying to design these things so it'll be both more flexible and capable and last longer. And so, it's a pretty tall order. So it doesn't so, sound challenging, but it is. So what, we're, what you're saying in a nutshell is that the planned 2025 Return to space is not going to happen, but might happen in 2027. Am I close to being right? That's the landing. Yes, that's our okay. three. So I think All right, hold on. We'll probably be pretty close on the second. All right, hold on. We've got other those other topics. I want to get to them. i got to play my special audio. I'm very excited. Rod Pyle, which are you? Are you a gangster of love, or are you a space cowboy, or are you a bit of both? Uh, I'm afraid I'm more of an oversized space cowboy. <laughs> and Rod, you know, pa- I, yeah. I have this burning desire to make that worse by going to Anderson's Candy Shop in the, mm. the wind and the cold in Chicago yeah. because where I live, all we have for Christmas is palm trees and coarse light. It's just not enough, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Rod Pyle. I be a river, I know. <laughs> Rod Pyle is executive editor of Ad Astra Magazine, also has a very fine podcast, that everybody should uh, check out this week in outer space. So the next, oh wait, the next topic was something oh, about. Can I add one more thing about the last one. Okay, but tell me when you're done. Okay, so just very quickly, 
The other, so there's two problems. The suits are one and the lander is the other. NASA gave contracts under this new private public partnership deal they have, gave contracts uh-huh. to two companies, Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin and Elon Musk's SpaceX to build landers. And they're both working on them and they're both really late. And so uh, we saw that second Starship test flight about a week and a half ago uh, that exploded again and for, for good reasons. And they got the data they wanted, but they are running behind. Again, part of this is NASA kind of underfunding it. And the other part in SpaceX's case is the FAA and the Bureau of, of Land Management or no, wildlife, fish and wildlife blocking their launch license for six months because they're afraid pieces of a blown up rocket might come down on top of some, you know, darting river smelt or something. Are you serious? Are you serious? You're serious. Wait a minute. They're screwing around with a SpaceX program because they don't want it to drop on animals. Well, that's part of it. Yeah. They also wow. don't want it to drop on people, but fish well, don't care about that. They care yeah. about <laughs> critters, you know. And, you know, I'm all for protecting the environment, but we're kind of almost on a wartime footing mm. here in this race against China to get back to the moon. Yeah. And back in the old days with Apollo, you know, they just did it. And, you know, the hell for leather, here we go. So there's a lot of stuff in the way, not enough money, fish and game agency and uh, other regulatory stuff. So it, there's a lot of blame to go around. Basically, that, that's the other part that's going late is these landers, just like it did back in the 60s. All right, then. Yeah, Minaj doing starships, get it? <laughs> you found one. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> so this next one, wait a minute. This yeah. next one says, uh, the first word in it is cannibals. So I decided to, I said, that's a uh, cannibal and the headhunters, uh, and then the fine young cannibals. So what's this deal with cannibals? So we had this event uh, on the first day of December called a a cannibal solar storm. It's actually a coronal mass injection. So it's this big puff, is too polite a word, this big burst of plasma coming off the sun. And the sun goes in these activity cycles of 11 years, so it'll get kind of quiet, and then it'll start to ramp up, and you'll see sunspots and these big uh, energy bursts coming out of it. So this one was was fairly large. It was kind of in the middle of the scale. And um, it's, you know, it's heading toward Earth. So we can see them before they actually hit us. So I don't know if you got warnings, but on December 1 and 2, uh, the the weather forecasting people said, hey, radio stations, look out. You may lose your signal for a bit when this big pounding of electromagnetic stuff comes and hits the Earth. Wow. So probably where you were, if yeah. you had gone out to where it was really dark, you could have seen a little bit of the aurora borealis because there was so much current coming uh-huh. from the Earth and this plasma. And it hits the magnetosphere that surrounds the Earth and gets ducted down the poles, and that's what causes the northern and southern light. So we had, like, record-breaking displays in the north and south pole and surrounding regions, all the way down, apparently, to, like, northern California and uh, the central Midwestern states, kind of mid-latitude ones. Yeah. 
but also, you know, this messes up radio transmissions and can really do a number on GPS and satellites and so forth. Um, so it, I don't think it turned out to be as bad as they expected. But the cannibal term, which is what we all want to know, of course, is because this flare was so big, there were some other smaller ones around it, and it kind of sucked them up and turned into this massive projected combination of all these things, which is why they were so worried about it, because it's like, oh, crud, this isn't just one storm. This is about five all ganging up on us at once. So did you did you guys get any uh, disturbance? I'm, I was thinking about that. No, I don't, I don't remember getting any alert uh, on my phone, and I get all sorts of weather alerts. But nobody said anything about cannibals coming. Okay, oh, okay, occasionally, we what, will, what? occasionally yes. we will get a, uh-huh. an alert from AP about uh-huh. a loss of service uh-huh. because yes. it's transmitted by satellite and sun activity right. may throw it off. There you go. But we, I don't recall any alert for what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, so they can't well, they yeah, can't get their. They can't get their rocket right, and they can't get their alerts right. What is going on? Well, uh, different, different, different people. But you know, it's also possible that the worst of it hit when you guys were in nighttime, since your show's oh, dark. Yeah, true. And you know, you're you're facing away from the sun at that point, so it wouldn't have been as big a deal. Um, this does harken back to the biggest solar storm we ever experienced, which was back in, I think, 1858, called the Carrington event. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, I, I, I so. remember it well. Yeah. Yes, he was on. Yeah, yeah, what the yeah. broadcast school know all about this, right? Sure. Yeah. So I, mean, I have no idea what we're... burst into flames. Uh, telegraph stations, their battery packs. Exploded. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the most yep. interesting part to me was, you know, so these guys start dot 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 to each other, saying, "Hey, disconnect your batteries. This is a bad one." And even with the batteries disconnected, there was so much current flowing in those wires from outer space that they were able to continue talking for the next two hours. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. Just from that. yeah, That's insane. In perpetual motion. Scene, yeah. yeah. So there was a lot of uh, what you're seeing, like, like static, right? The, the sort of, um, so that, is that what we're talking about? Static. <laughs> See, I told you I had a lot of noise. All right, we're going to do like static from 1944. <laughs> Well, it took a long time to get here. Um, More with Rod Pyle coming up. 720 WGN. Rod doesn't know either. Uh, John Landecker with Rod Pyle, uh, executive master controller editor of uh, Ad Astro magazine. And also a great podcast that everybody should listen to. You know, we were talking about SpaceX, right? Yeah. The SpaceX Starship. Well, for $69.99 on Amazon... You can score a model of your very own SpaceX Starship, and it's alloy steel. And you know what it has in common with the real one? It doesn't work. It's amazing. Oh! Oh! <laughs> well, that deserves its own sound effect, I think. <laughs> but it's true. There's, I mean, they're for sale on Amazon. Well, I, I, I will have to pick one up. I'm almost that much of a fanboy. But you know, to be fair, that of course, you know, the, the press jumps all over the yard, blew up again thing, just like in the bad old days when you and I were kids and said all our rockets blow up. It, it, it launched fine. All the engines, 33 engines, has never been done before successfully, all worked, went all the way up till the first stage separated, and they tried this new thing called hot separation where they basically fired the upper stage before letting go of the lower stage on purpose. 
mm-hmm. stage weight and complexity. And then the upper stage took off. Now the lower stage, the one that was supposed to come back, started to tumble and it did explode on its own. Ah. The upper stage, which is the one that would be carrying the people in the cargo, someday, yes. yeah. kept going and almost made it to orbit, but uh, got it just a couple thousand miles per hour shy. But when you're talking about 18,000 miles per hour, that's not a terrible thing. And they were doing fine, and then it lost radio contact, and if it loses radio contact with the ground, its computer says, oh, okay, you got to go, and it destroys itself on purpose. So there's a lot of conditions there. They did get a lot of good data, as they like to say. But the thing about Musk is, you know, he builds these things, then says, all right, let's launch it and see what happens, and it blows up, and they gather all the pieces and the data and the printouts and look at them and say, oh, that's what went wrong. And they fix it, and they go again, and he's got three more of these things standing by right next to the launch pad, ready to rock. He just nice. needs to get approval from nice. the yeah. to go. Whereas it could take, you know, traditional companies like Boeing that builds the SLS, you know, three years to right. go from one accident to another flight. So, you know, tip of the hat to him. Not my favorite guy these days. Right. Yeah, I get it. You know, he, he knows how to pick good people and ride them like a beast and amazing <laughs> things happen. So there you go. Uh, we're talking to Rod Pyle at Astro Magazine, 738 with John Landecker. You know, Christmas Eve is coming, and you know that uh, Santa uh, takes to the skies with his sleigh and the tiny reindeer. Is there any chance that Santa is going to run into this uh, new rocket called the Vulcan, which is going to be launched Christmas Eve? Well, you know, NORAD tracks Santa. You oh, that's right. The, the NORAD, that's right. Yes. NORAD website and watch him being tracked. So we'll know where yeah. he is. We just have to keep track of the Vulcan. So this is a new rocket, another new rocket from United Launch Alliance, which has been in business in one form or another since the 1950s. And this is a replacement for an older rocket that had called the Atlas that we saw go up for 50 years. Um, the thing that's interesting about this launch, besides the fact that it's the first launch of this new rocket, is it's carrying this privately built lander called the Peregrine, uh, after the bird, I guess, Yeah, which is, was built under an arrangement with NASA, this new con- cost plus, uh, not cost plus, sorry, fixed cost contracting thing. So instead of costing, you know, 10 times what they said it was going to, they got it at a price and they did. And it's going to be carrying about five different NASA instruments to go land on the moon and investigate the lunar surface. And this one's really kind of an engineering tryout. They're going to do one next year with a bigger lander from the same company that'll go to lunar soft pole and look for water, which is what we're really after up there. But this right. one's more experimental. But it's also carrying a bunch of private payloads. So it's carrying an art project uh, by this world-famous artist whose name I can't remember at the moment. Wait a minute. Hold on a second, uh, Rod. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. An art okay. project? What, what, what qualifies? How, what is the, I mean, what's an art project doing on a space rocket with no people? I mean, Well, right? see, this is the thing. So because the lander is being done by a private company, NASA said, okay, we'll give you this much money to get the rocket and take our, our payload, our, our instruments up to the moon. Yeah. But because you're a private company, if you got space left over, you can carry other stuff. So a bunch of different people came forward. Wow. Companies came forward. A university has a little tiny yeah. rover experiment. Um, there's this art project that I don't know very much about. There's a laser retroreflector box, which is a box of these kind of honeycomb mirrors that if you send a laser beam from Earth, no matter what direction it comes in at, 
it's bounced back on along exactly the same axis, so you can measure the distance in the lunar surface. Oh, I gotta gotta get one of those. That's awesome. Uh, just get yourself a laser pointer. A oh, okay. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it, it's cool that you know this kind of we're beginning to see the opening of this whole privatization thing that yeah I've been boring you guys with for years. It's starting to bear fruit. I hope it works. If it works, it'll be the first private lander to go anywhere other than Earth orbit in history. So that would be a big number. Let me back up a minute with something that you said earlier. Now, this company that we're talking about uh, that's carrying these various items um, is not Elon Musk. It's not NASA. What did you say? And and they've been in business since the mid-late 50s? Who are they no, again? No, that's, that's the builder of the rocket. That's okay. the launch alliance. The actual lander is built by a company called Astrobotic out of Pittsburgh. They've been around probably about eight years, I think. Huh. And this is their sole thing. You know, they are building landers to go to, to other worlds. And wow. That's what they've been concentrating on. And it's a real success story. Young company, young people. Yeah. Hard charging. You know, yeah. they're not the richest man in the world yet type money yet, but, uh, but they're doing, they're doing great things. And it's a big tip of the hat to them that NASA said, yeah, we'll, we'll buy two or three of your lander site unseen. Wow. I mean, this is really a, you know, <laughs> this is like a side hustle for somebody almost. I mean, really, it's not a side hustle, but I mean, all these various, business entities who have startups with various launch space uh, equipment, landers, tools, you know, the, the the stuff that goes along with it, uh, they're an entire industry now, and they contract with NASA. I got that right? Yeah, and, you know, private corporations have always built hardware for NASA, but it was mm-hmm. usually NASA's design with NASA standing over their shoulder, breathing down their neck, and, and entirely NASA money. In this new model, these companies, for the most part, put in some of their own coin. They've got skin in the game, right. and they're doing it for a lot less than the old days. These aren't those big, lavish military contracts they used to get. This is like NASA saying, okay, we got this much. Can you figure it out? And you're right. I mean, it's, it's this kind of almost an expansion of the garage industry. Yeah, exactly. About it. Yeah. And I think we talked about this before with regard to Musk, but especially these guys, it's like when we were kids and we saw these movies with, you know, the mad scientist that goes to his shed and builds a moon rocket. Exactly. That'll never happen. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's why science fiction is so close to science fact. Right. Yeah. Well, when when it happens, we like it as long as it's not things like independence day. Right. I get Mars that. Attacks, you know? Oh, you know yeah. Okay, so we've got. The, let me just uh, get to something here. So we've got these rockets that uh, aren't ready to go yet, uh, but maybe they will. And then uh, there's this uh, one that's going up on Christmas Eve, the Vulcan, and all of these have something to do with the moon. Am I right? In a, in some way yeah, or another. The moon's, yeah, the moon's yeah. really kind of where it's right. happening. So. And and that, if I've got this right, the goal beyond that is everybody gets to go to the moon, so to speak. You can book your flight. Yes? I mean, taking yeah. human... we got a few steps between here and there. Yeah, yeah, no, I understand. But that's... Namely, being billionaires, but uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, so we had a guy on the podcast uh, just last Friday named George Neal, who used to be, uh, he was the guy at, used to be the guy at the FAA that actually oversaw all this commercial space flight stuff, which is why we had him on. But he saved up enough money to take one of those Blue Origin New Shepard flights that doesn't quite go oh, to orbit. It just yeah. comes down. Right, comes down. he saved up his pennies and became a citizen astronaut, you know. And so we talked for a good 10 minutes about that flight, and it was just Can, okay. so jealous I could barely stay in my chair. Once again, once again, I have to ask you, a citizen astronaut? I've never heard that expression. Well, see, there's this... You know, in every field, including radio, I'm sure people like to to engage in unnecessary arguments. And one unnecessary oh, argument in that's for sure <laughs> is if you're a guy who's got enough money or a woman who's got enough money to go up and buy yourself a tourist flight. Uh, are you an astronaut? Are you a passenger? Are you a right. astronaut? Are you a participant or are you just John Landecker, which yeah. is a pretty, pretty big shoe to fill already. So, um, People like to argue about that, so I, I just decided to call them citizen astronauts because it's not I like the I like the expression. I love it. Hi, I'm John Landecker, citizen astronaut. Citizen oh, astronaut. Yeah, citizen you can kind of imagine Adam West saying. It. Yes, of course. Yes, citizen astronaut. Hello, yeah. citizen astronaut. All right. <laughs> uh, Taking a break and coming back with uh, Rod Pyle here at 720 WGN. 749, John Landegger, 720 WGN. Uh, we're in outer space with uh, Ad Astra's editor, Rod Pyle. And so do you, in your own personal chronological line of events, what year do you think man will go to the moon, like the everyday man or person, rather? When will people populate the moon like it's like, okay, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to the Sea of Tranquility or whatever to take a bath. You know, yeah. What? So what? I'm a bit of, little, little bit of a, of, of a hawk when it comes to that, I guess. I, I, I think that kind of tourism, you know, semi-casual tourism where you save yeah. up enough to take that vacation for the same cost that you might go to Tahiti for a month now is probably in the 2040s somewhere, but... People will be going up there before that as government astronauts, right? And we hope as private astronauts and researchers, as perhaps as academics. And you know, you could be looking at a matter of a few tens of millions of dollars for a while. And you know, that sounds like a lot, but if you're being sponsored by a corporation or right. a big academic institution yeah. like yeah. you know Stanford's endowment at this point is up in the, the multiples of billions. You know they could afford to do it. So, but but yeah, between here and the point where it's like taking a junket to Waikiki, I think it's going to be <laughs> a couple of decades. Yeah, a couple of decades. But save your money, you know, yes. because by then maybe they'll be able to replace enough parts that you and I can still go in little bits and pieces. Yeah, well, I can. I've got some parts in me already that are made out of metal. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh boy, my knees and hips are all set to go to the moon right now. Hey, you know, cyborg. I am. Yeah. You know, uh, you have commented in the past when I said when I would play something from Star Trek Voyager, you're like, oh, I hate that. And I don't like the captain. I don't like the captain. Now, that's Kate Mulgrew, right? Isn't that the name of the actress? Okay. So I was, I don't know how I stumbled on this thing. She was on a stage and she was describing in great disgust how that show was canceled one character at a time. They would, they didn't tell them, 
and suddenly one of the characters wasn't on the show for that episode. The next week, another one was gone. Then the next week, another one was gone. And then the next, and she said she ended up all by herself, you know, saying, saying, engage, 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 like to this camera, that that camera, this camera, you know, overhead. And she was actually, she was pretty bitter about it. Because I guess it was That's really interesting. Yeah. So, so I, I was out of the whole Trek thing by the time Voyager came along, and yeah. that's the only series that I haven't watched most of. But, um, you know, the suits were very cognizant of the profit margins, and uh, after um, Deep Space Nine, budgets started getting trimmed because that was an right. expensive show, and Next Generation was an expensive show. Now, when I say expensive, you know, if the budget was like a million five, people started to sweat. These days, they just sort of snicker at that well, kind of money. But back in the nineties, that was a lot. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't weren't all those shows syndicated shows? They, those weren't network shows, were they? No, they were. They were network that then went into syndication. Ah, oh, okay, all right. But my bad. But if you if you were on, you know, a couple of years of that show, you're making enough money now that you'll never have to work again just off of syndication. So cry me a river, you know. Wow! Did not realize that. Oh, yeah. I was at an air show many years ago, and the guy who played Worf flew in. And, you know, he was on the series for seven years, right? On Next Gen for seven years, and then on B-Space for a couple of years. Flew in on his personally restored Sabre jet, the 1950s fighter jet that is his weekend toy. And so we got to talking about that, and he, he muttered that television had been very, very good to him. And I started I kind of doing the numbers in my head, and I thought, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. what's coming? What's coming? Uh, tell us about the podcast again. What it's called? Where it is? What you got coming up? It's this week on space, and you can find it at twit.tv, twit at twit.tv, or on YouTube if you wish. Uh, this Friday, we have Ed Krupp, the director of the Griffith Observatory, coming on to talk about archaeoastronomy, which is more interesting than it sounds. So, it's what is it called? How the ancients. What's it Archaeoastronomy, oh, oh, I, basically. Astronomy of the, the ancients. Of the ancients. Yeah. Right. So how the Aztecs and everybody, you know, what does Stonehenge mean and how the Aztecs figured it out. I'm sure Oof. I'm sure my compatriot Tarek will probably ask something about ancient astronauts and I'll have to tell him to be quiet. Uh, in January <laughs> we have the the second in command at NASA coming on, a delightful woman named Pam Melroy, who actually crashed our podcast a couple of weeks ago because she was in the building and just dropped in to say hi. We also had a couple of weeks ago, her, Jose Hernandez, who's a shuttle astronaut. And he's the guy that they made that movie a million miles away about. It, I see? saw that. Yes. Were they, impl- film, huh? were they imply that, you know, he, he went from being what a custodian to vice president or something. He wasn't even a custodian. He was the kid of farm workers and he was, he was picking strawberries. As a kid, yeah, I and did. Then see that movie. he went to work yeah. at Lawrence Livermore Lab, and they mistook him for a custodian. He said, "No, actually, I'm an engineer." And they said, "Yes." But there was some uh, plot. He, there was some plot point in there about uh, uh, hot sauce uh, contributing to. Uh, I, I think I'm confused about something. Um, <laughs> that, that had no. That had to do with like. Um, Spicy chips or something, bags of because the family. Oh, oh. I think he was yeah. talking about the fact that when he was so when he was in astronaut training, whenever he could, he still came home on the weekends to work in his wife's Mexican restaurant. 
in Stockton, California. Yeah. And I think there was something in there about his, yeah. his custom hot sauce. And he still works in that restaurant. If you go to this restaurant up in Stockton, which is kind of a little Bay Area cow town, you can go there and chances are 50-50. You'll see this, you know, now world-famous astronaut sitting there. Pretty cool. Now, I, I have to ask you, the scene when the, when he's he's flown to space and he's an astronaut now, and his teacher, his grade school teacher comes to see him, did you manage to not shed a couple of tears when that happened? Because I didn't. I, I kind of lost it. Uh. I think I don't remember specifically, but uh, it certainly moved me. I don't know if it actually caused a tear, but um, I was into it. That's for sure. Yeah. So I it was a that's good worth. Film. Oh, no, it is a good film. It is. I, I loved it. Well, Rod, thank you so much for spending this hour with us and taking us through the various failures and launches of people who want to go to outer space. Always thank read you, it. sir. It's a pleasure.